Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll turn our attention just to one verse to reread from our second lesson, Acts chapter 13, verse 47. This is what the Lord has instructed us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We tend to focus a lot on Abraham and Abraham's descendants. The names Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, they just roll right off our tongues. We know them so well. We've heard about them in Sunday school lessons. We hear about them in scripture readings in church. We know a lot about Abraham and his descendants, and rightly so, because God had promised that it was through him all the nations would be blessed. And the more we know about these men from the scriptures and the promises that God gave them, the easier it is for, recognize, for us to recognize who the Savior is. But sometimes we get the wrong idea, and sometimes we fall into the trap that many at the time of Jesus fell into. We tend to think that maybe God was only concerned about Abraham and his descendants. Of course, that's not true. He's always been concerned about all people. In fact, his very first promise of the Savior was given to Adam and Eve, the parents of all people. And he's always had people who were believers outside of those descendants of Abraham. In the Bible class recently, we were reminded about a man named Melchizedek. He's called a priest of God Most High and the King of Salem. When Abraham came back from rescuing his nephew Lot and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, Edma, Zeboim, and Zoar, Melchizedek came out and blessed Abraham. And Abraham recognized him as a fellow believer, even though he wasn't related to him, wasn't one of his descendants recognized him as a priest of God Most High. Same faith. He honored him by giving him a tithe. And the writer to Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek and that neither Melchizedek nor Jesus is in the usual line of priests, the Levitical line. And just as Abraham honored Melchizedek as greater than himself by giving him a tithe, Jesus is greater than Abraham. That account reminds us that God has always had believers who were outside of the family of Abraham. Our Old Testament reading reminds us that the Queen of Sheba, when she heard about the wisdom and wealth of Solomon, had come and check it out for herself. He had to see if it was true, all the things that she had heard about him. She said, your wisdom and wealth surpassed the report which I heard. But even more importantly, she said, may the Lord your God be blessed who is pleased to put you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loves Israel forever, he made you king to administer justice and righteousness. Now we can't say for sure if she was expressing true faith in the God but at least we can say that she acknowledged the one true God. And who knows what God might have done in the hearts of all those people, that entourage that came with her, 
and got to witness and hear the wisdom of Solomon, got to see the things going at the temple, got to learn about what God's people believed. God used the blessings showered on David and Solomon to attract people to that one place on earth where he uncovered his glory most clearly, where he revealed himself most clearly, the temple. Every day at the temple, he made sure people understood how salvation would be won. Sacrifices repeated in, day in and day out, over and over and over again, pointed out that salvation would be won by an unblemished, substitutionary, bloody sacrifice in our place. As the descendants of Abraham became more unfaithful, God found ways to continue to get his word out to people who weren't descendants of Abraham, to the Gentiles. He had the Babylonians come and destroy Jerusalem and the temple and carry off some who were still faithful to him into captivity in Babylon. We know some of their names real well. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. And we know about the powerful witness that these men gave before powerful kings of the time, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus. Who knows how many seeds of faith might have been planted in the hearts of Babylonians or Persians through the witness that these men gave to God and his word. We're told that Daniel became head of the wise men in Babylon. Now we don't know for sure, we can't prove it, but it's certainly a possibility that that's how these wise men who came from the east heard about the fact that they should be watching for a sign in the heavens. Could have been that centuries before, Daniel wrote something down that was passed on from generation to generation, and that's how they knew to look for it. But even if it wasn't through Daniel, they did come, and they worshipped. They demonstrated the faith of Abraham. When they kneeled down and worshipped a helpless baby as their Lord and King. And when, like Abraham, they obeyed the word of the Lord, they came to them in the dream and told them, don't go back to Herod, go back by another route. They obeyed the word just as Abraham had before them. What a contrast they are these non-descendants of Abraham, these Gentiles, to the descendants of Abraham of the time. Some great faith compared to such little faith. Up to this time, the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension, it seems pretty clear that God's primary strategy for spreading his word was what we might call a, a come strategy. He used the blessings that he gave to Abraham and his descendants and even the location of the promised land, that little strip of land between the Mediterranean Sea and the desert that the two great powers of the day had to pass through in order to trade with each other or in order to do battle with each other. They had to come in contact with God's people to learn about who the true God was to rub elbows with descendants of Abraham who could share with them the promise that God had given of the Savior. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension, 
there's a notable shift because Jesus very clearly tells his disciples to go. Go and make disciples of all nations. And when they seemed reluctant to do that, he allowed a persecution to come to Jerusalem and he scattered believers and then we're told that they shared the word of God, the good news about Jesus, wherever they went. And then God took that persecutor, Saul, and brought him to faith and appointed him to be his apostle to the Gentiles. Paul became commissioned by the church in Antioch, the first place we're told in the Bible that people focused primarily on reaching Gentiles with God's word. They commissioned him and sent him out on his journeys. And he traveled through what we call Turkey, Greece, went to Rome as a prisoner. When he was released from prison, he wanted to go to Spain, might have made it that far, proclaiming the good news about Jesus, saying that he's not just the savior of Abraham's descendants, but he's the savior of all people because he's the fulfillment of the promise to Adam and Eve. A reading for today reminds us that he carried out this mission to the Gentiles by going to the Jews first. Now that doesn't mean that the Jews were better people or that they deserved to hear it more than anybody else. It's just that they had the written word of God and they had the promises in writing. And God wanted them to know that he had been faithful and he had kept those promises. But he also wanted the good news to go to the Gentiles. He wanted them to know that Jesus came to be a light for all people. For God so loved the world, right? Not just the descendants of Abraham, but all the descendants of Adam and Eve, everybody, that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. God has graciously uncovered his plans. He has revealed his plans to us. He's enabled us to hear his promise to Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to, to follow that promise and to follow the fulfillment of those promises throughout his inspired word and enable us to recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He has worked in our hearts just as he did those wise men with the faith of Abraham. Enabled us to bow down and worship a little child, a baby in a manger, as our Lord and King. He's blessed us by revealing his truth to us and bringing us to faith in Jesus. Now what? Jesus makes it clear that he doesn't want us to fall into the trap of thinking that Salvation is only for our little group gathered here today. He clearly says he wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he has clearly shown and said how that's supposed to happen. Those who know him, those for whom he has uncovered himself, are to be salt and light in the world, to be the city set on the hill. So that there will be people like the Queen of Sheba, who notice there's something different there. There's something that those people have that maybe I want to have. And move to, to ask us about that. And then gives us the opportunity to tell them 
It's Jesus, nothing about me. It's all what he's done for me, to share that good news of Jesus with them. And he's clearly said and shown that he wants those who know him as their Lord and Savior, not just to sit back and wait for people to come to them, but he's clearly said, go, hasn't he? Especially in our world today when the culture tends to look at Christianity and religion and churches in a negative light, we can't expect that a lot of people are just going to line up at our door and walk in. Yes, we still want to invite them, but we need to go to them. We need to be like the Apostle Paul and be willing to go to places where, well, we might not be welcome or we might be uncomfortable. Go to the marketplace. Not meaning that we should be street preachers, right, and, and go to the farmer's market and start preaching or go outside the football stadium and start preaching, but the marketplace, the place where we go every day, places where we rub elbows with other people and look for opportunities to take those normal everyday conversations that we have and turn them to saving conversations, conversations about Jesus. After all, what's worse? Being uncomfortable? Having someone maybe think you're a little strange? Or having others end up in the outer darkness of suffering for all eternity because they never heard about Jesus. Remember, it was in response to rejection by Abraham's descendants that Paul and Barnabas fearlessly proclaimed, this is what the Lord has instructed us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Those who know and believe what the Apostle Paul did, that's our mission too, to bring salvation to the end of the earth. God grant that as we share that good news about Jesus, we would experience what Paul did as well, that some rejoice and praise the word of the Lord, and that the word of the Lord be carried throughout the region in which we live. Amen. Please stand.